0: We're continuing a series entitled Learning to Walk. It's funny, I think most of you think that Pastor John and I sat down and kind of planned out this series called Learning to Walk, but I, th- I want you guys to know that it kind of happened organically. We just started teaching through it and it became this series about what it means to live out our Christian walks. And that's why I love the book of Ephesians. It's such a concise… it's six chapters, but we, we know it's ultimately just one letter from Paul to the church in Ephesus, and it's just a concise explanation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you've been with us through these studies, you know that Paul doesn't immediately start with what a Christian must do, he explains who we are in Christ first. The first three chapters, Paul really just explains that we have an embarrassment of riches in Christ, that He has given us every spiritual blessing in heaven. That we were once in darkness, and now that we are, we are in light, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we've been made alive, we've been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance uh, in eternity, and He just won after another the promises that we have in Christ and what Christ accomplished on the cross for us. And one of the biggest uh, gifts that we have is that we have a new identity. We are a new creation in him. Paul writes, you were dead in your transgressions and now you have been made alive in Christ. And he explains in Ephesians 2 verse 8, for it is by what grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We weren't saved by our good works, we were saved for good works. And that's what Paul has really been laying a foundation for as we entered into chapter four. And in chapter four, that's where he introduced, therefore, walk now. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you were called. This is your new identity. Now, let me show you how to walk in that new identity. And in learning to walk, in Ephesians 5, verses 1, Paul says, "...be imitators of God, walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and has given Himself for us." And then in verse 8, he says, "...you are light in the Lord, walk as children of light." So that's what we've been studying, what it means to live out that new identity that we have in Christ. And he started by explaining how we live it out individually and personally. And it started with that battle that wages in our mind, right? He says, don't don't think like you used to think in your futility of mind. Don't dwell on worthless and empty things, but think on the things that are above. Think on the things that are of good rapport. Set your mind on the things above. He explains that we're to put off the old man with the old conduct and put on the new man. we renewed in the spirit of our minds. But Our spiritual walks, and this is so important, our spiritual walks do not end with our individual sanctification. I think this is where we we run into a great deal of difficulty. We make our sanctification, or our our becoming Christ-like, we make it all about ourselves, our experience, becoming a better me. But Paul doesn't end there. He doesn't end with the individual. In fact, he spends much more time on the ramifications of the gospel in our relationships with one another. Is there an individual work going on? Absolutely. But for so many, that's just where it ends. And then they're left unsatisfied, and then they walk away, but it's because they didn't realize that God is doing a work in them so that they may in turn be a blessing to those around them. Paul moved from the individual changes that are taking place in us as God makes us into the image of His Son, and He extends it into the relationships that we have with one another. We focused on that work within the church body, how we should endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit, and then he's moved on to within our homes, as Pastor John covered the role of the wife last week. Husbands and wives were of equal value, but we have different roles. Today we're going to look at the role of the husband. Next week we'll look at the role of the children. And then we'll move on to employers and employees. But we see that God is just as concerned with our individual sanctification as He is with our relationships to one another. And and here's what's key about all of this. This is not just about having a better life. This isn't simply about having a healthy marriage and healthy families and a healthy church and a healthy workplace, while those things are important. This is about reflecting Jesus to an unbelieving world. That's the end game here. Now, do we experience uh, a unique blessing when we live out our purpose? Without a doubt. But as we'll see today, when Paul focuses on the the role of a a wife and the role of a husband and the unity in that, that relationship of marriage, it's not simply about having a good marriage where there's not constant arguing and strife and pain. It's about reflecting Jesus. It's about telling the gospel story through our relationships. So again, we will be looking at the role of husbands. Pastor John really laid the foundation for all of these relationships as he summarized verse 21 in Ephesians 5, that we are to submit to one another in the fear of God. Ephesians 4 too, Paul says, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bear with one another. All of this is just an extension of what Jesus said in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. That's what this is all about. It's about putting on that mind of Christ who in Philippians 2, verse 5, Paul writes, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, that did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of what? Death even the death of the cross. So what does that kind of Christ-like living look like within the family? Because here's the deal. If we can't have peace in the family, who cares if we can have peace in the church? Who cares if we can have peace in the workplace? Who cares if we're reflecting the person of Christ to our employees or to our boss if we don't understand what this looks like at home? John Stott once said, what is the point of peace in the church if there is no peace at home? So that's what we'll be studying today. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for your presence a sobering reality that the creator of this universe is, is here with us now that you're speaking that you're living within those who have given their life to you that have found forgiveness through your son Jesus Christ and so Lord I pray that you would speak through your child speak to your church speak through your word Again, we want to grow. We do know that a life of flourishing and abundance comes as we walk in your will, but we know that this life is not a self-centered life. It should not be that way. We want to be the light that you've called us to be. We want people to see Jesus in the way that we care for one another within the church, within our families, within our workplace. And we know that's only possible by the work of your Spirit in our lives. Lord, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. So again, we are in Ephesians chapter five. Now, anytime we talk about marriage... We're talking about really a sensitive subject. I'm not going to go into the numbers behind the divorce rate. We know that that's constantly uh, climbing, but in my experience in ministry, there's a not a whole lot that's more emotionally damaging than marital conflict. You know, you you meet someone and and you decide that person is special, and there's obvious chemistry between the two of you and there's mutual affection and you begin to spend time together and you invest in one another and you begin to let them in and you become a little vulnerable and and you allow them to see your faults and to your surprise even though they've seen your faults they want to stick around and so you end up committing your life to them but then something happens and far too many marriages they take a turn for the worse, and, and instead of being on the same team, marriage becomes a war. It becomes a battle, a power struggle. It's a, a battle of rights and, and wills and turns into a hurt, heaped on hurt, heaped on hurt. General Montgomery once said, gentlemen. Don't even think of marriage until you've mastered the art of war. And that's a sad reality. It's not a biblical principle. It's a very worldly principle, but I understand the sentiment. See, the thing about war is it's always costly. And what is the fallout of divorce? Who suffers in divorce? Usually the children. There's a reason God says that he hates divorce. Now, is there fit forgiveness and grace and restoration for those who have uh, been divorced? Without a doubt, but it doesn't take away the hurt that is experienced. Here's the root problem. Marriage is God's design, and we've abandoned God's design. Marriage is a covenantal relationship created by God for God's purposes, and we decided we wanted to rewrite the book. We wanted to do it our way. And that's really the root of all of mankind's problems. We are God's designs, we are God's workmanship, and we have abandoned Him for what we think is right in our own eyes. And now we are reaping what we've sown. So the solution to marital strife is not a 12-step program that leads to a better marriage or one of the millions of books that has been written on the topic of marriage. It starts and ends with the one who created marriage. What is His design for marriage? It starts and ends, really, hear me now, with Jesus In his grace, because a dead man can't love his wife well any more than a dead fish can swim upstream. And I think that's what a lot of people want today. And we see this all the time as people come into our offices. We'll get a call from someone who doesn't attend here, and they're in the middle of just a marriage meltdown, and they'll want counseling. And they'll come in and we'll talk with them. And we'll always start with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But they often don't want to start there. They want their marriage fixed. They don't want to submit to their creator. And guys, that's where it begins. Because as Paul has already told us in Ephesians... 422, he says, "'Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and it is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Until we're a new identity in Christ, we cannot love our wives as Christ has loved the church.'" We are talking about an exercise in futility. Too often people hear, okay, I can love my wife, but their definition of love is a very worldly definition of love. It's rooted in an emotion or a feeling. But the word that Paul uses as we approach Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, is agape love. And many of you have been in the church long enough to know the difference between phileo love, which is a, a friendship, a brotherly love, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, and agape love, which is self-sacrificing, self-denying, laying your life down for the good of another kind of love. And it's not possible without the Spirit of God living within us. So many people want what Jesus offers without wanting Jesus. I want a healthy marriage. I want behaved kids. I want to be a good father. I want want all of that apart from surrender to the King. Give me a program. Give me some practical steps. And don't get me wrong, Paul is all about the practical, but there's a reason he spent his first words in his letter to the Ephesians, talking about all that Christ has done for us. So again, what we're talking about this morning is the redeemed marriage. What a marriage looks like between two followers of Jesus Christ. If you missed last week's, Pastor John dealt with the wife's role, so I encourage you to pick that up. But today, if you look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Paul starts by saying what? Husbands. And this is the part where I'm supposed to give a disclaimer. Hey, if you're not a husband, if you're single, if you're a woman, if you're not married anymore, there's going to be something in here for you, I promise. But can we just set that aside for a second? Can we just talk to the husbands without a disclaimer? Because the family system is breaking down. And as husbands, we need to hear this. Husbands, listen, love your wives. And Again, we we approach this, and if we're not completely discouraged by it, then I don't think we understand it. Because if we read this, husbands, love your wives, and we're like, yeah, I can do that. No, you can't. If you think you can, you have a very low view of what Paul's talking about. Husbands, love your wives. Yeah, I'll buy her chocolates. I'll bring flowers to her on the way home. I'll remember her birthday, because I have it saved on my calendar. I'll remember our anniversary, sometimes. But Paul doesn't simply say, husbands, love your wives... Like the world loves their wives. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Man, that that should really give us a moment of pause. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Guys, we are talking about an impossible kind of love that, again, is only possible through the Spirit of God living in us. And I want to be careful how I approach this because oftentimes sermons pointed at men kind of take on a different vibe than sermons pointed at women. Sermons pointed at men are often like you're just a worm, you're worthless, get your act together. It's like a kick in the pants, right? I, I see this at at retreats. I've never been to a women's retreat, but I've heard about them, right? You go into your cabin, and there's a little gift bag on your bed, and there's down comforters, and there's a, a loofah inside of it, and your room smells like lavender, and there's worship music playing, and then you, you go into... This is what my wife tells me. And then you go into, you know, the the conference room, and everyone's hugging and crying, and the theme of it's like streams in the mountains, or, you know, something really, it, it's like, the whole thing's like a warm hug, and the teachings are all about how you're a princess, that you are chosen by God, and this is all true, don't get me wrong, you're chosen by God, you're the daughter of God, you're favored, you're loved, and then we look at men's retreats. This year we went up there, I walked in my room and a rat ran across the floor. (laughs) And I I lay down and I looked up and there was an AC unit hanging off the wall with like duct tape on it, holding it up. And the theme is like murder the flesh or something something really masculine. And you go and you listen to the teachings and, and it can be really a kick in the pants and I'm not saying there's not a place for that but there's a lot of husbands here you guys are trying and you can feel a little discouraged You go to work and you're really doing your best and then you come home and you're doing your best to spend time with the kids and love the kids and love your wife. And I don't want to add to the world already kicking you when you're down, but I want to make sure we understand that our calling, our identity in Christ, what we were created for as husbands is only possible in Him and through Him. So, if you don't have that overflow of relationship with Christ, this will be an exercise in futility. You will be discouraged. And that's not what I desire for you. I know what it feels like sometimes as a man to kind of give all that you can give and then be told that's still not enough. Not by the people that love you, but just the enemy. So remember, the heart of the gospel, and I love how, and I forget who said this, the gospel story is really this, we learn about what we should do, then we find out we can't do it, then we see that Jesus did it, and then we find out that we can only do it through Him. That's the gospel story. And that's what I want us to land on before we continue here, that this is possible to love your wives the way that Jesus selflessly gave himself for the church and allowed himself to be nailed to a cross, beaten and abused because he saw something in the church that he loved. Not because the church was lovable, but he himself is love. So he chose to love the church self-sacrificially, and he gave himself up for her. Love your wives that way. Treasure your wives that way. And again, there's a great deal at stake here. We will not be the reflection of the gospel that we are supposed to be until we love our wives this way. Any other lower form of love is not enough. We want to tell the world the story of Jesus. And to do that, we must love our wives as Christ has loved the church. I'm going to try something here. We'll see if it works. As we break down these verses, I'm going to take control of the presentation. Linda's like, what are you doing right now? And we're going to try to break down these verses together. Ephesians 5:25. We'll see if it comes up on the screen here. Look at that. Hey, okay, we're working. <laughs> Just making sure. All right, so let's look at this together. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. How did Christ love the church? This I say, okay, that he might what? Sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So you got it, guys? Love your wives that way. Do you follow? Sanctify my wife? What in the world does that mean? Let's think about our wedding days. My wedding day took place here, and on that day, I publicly confessed that I had found a woman that I wanted to leave my life of singleness for, leave my father and my mother, abandon, you guys remember the single life, right? Men, some of you guys long for the single life again, That's that's not good, but you remember that single life. But when you found someone who you were willing to give up that single life for, you were saying, I am willing now to share my life with you. Scripture says the two, father leaves the mother and the two become what? One. One pastor says, in God's economy with marriage, one plus one equals one. Science. One plus one equals one. We have a hard time wrapping our minds around this reality that he might sanctify. The word sanctify means set apart. On my wedding day, I stood here and I watched the one woman who I had set apart from all other relationships to be my bride. And her father walked her down this aisle and gave her to me, presented her to me as my bride so that we could live as one going forward for the rest of our days here on earth. And what's my responsibility as a man? To be faithful to her, to love and provide for and protect and lay down my life and my wants and my needs for her betterment, to place her needs above my own. See, marriage isn't something we created as humans. God designed it because that's the story of Jesus' love for the church. He left his Father in heaven, took on the form of a bondservant, came down for his bride, the church, and he gave his life for his bride. He set the church apart as something special, and he's been uniquely faithful to his church, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. I think one of the the most destructive things within a marriage is a lack of forgiveness. Love holds no record of wrong. I'm so grateful for Jesus' sacrifice, that every sin I have committed and I will commit, it's forgiven. It's cast as far as the east is for the west. But as guys, we sometimes hold on to past hurt. Maybe things that our wives said in the heat of of the moment. We often have a difficulty letting them off the hook and showing them grace. But that's what we've been called to. Love is patient, it's long-suffering, and it holds no record of wrong. Do we as the church have no spots or wrinkles or any such thing? Are we holy and without blemish? Is that a good description of the church? When we look at one another, the answer is no. But when God looks at his church, he says, that's exactly what my church looks like because of what Jesus has done on the cross, because of what he has accomplished for his church. And so, husbands, our calling, our role, our responsibility is to, when we think of the standard of love that we are to love our wives with, let this thought be on our mind. How did Jesus love his church? That's our standard. That's our model because, in turn, our marriages are to model that story of Jesus and his love for the church. Look at verse 28. How are we to love our wives? It seems like he's moving on to a new thought here. Look, take a look. Husbands ought to love their own wives as what? Their own bodies. Now, some of you are like, man, I had Taco Bell at 11 o'clock last night. That was not very loving. He who loves his wife loves himself. Take a look at the next verse. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, I've always kind of read that as, okay, I know how to take care of my own needs. I should be taking care of my wife's needs just like I take care of my own needs. that, That kind of makes sense, right? But I think we're forgetting something in that that line of thinking when we get married we talked about this the two become what one One. so when i love my wife and i care for my wife i'm not simply loving her like i'm loving myself i'm loving her because she is me does that make sense it's taken me 20 years to realize this it's not just taking care of my needs and equally taking care of her needs. Okay, I'm running through the drive-thru, I'm getting a Chipotle burrito, I'm going to get her one too. Because everything has to be equal. No, a husband who loves his wife well is actually loving himself well. A wife who loves her husband well is actually loving herself well because we are no longer two individuals. We said when we stood before one another and we committed our vows to one another, I am living, leaving that life of singleness and we are becoming one because that is what God's word says. That single life, that life of living just for me and doing what I want to do and not having any concern about who else it affects, that life is gone. We are one body. Anything I do affects you, and anything you do affects me, and I am to love you as I love myself because you are me and I am you. Now, does that mean we lose our individual characteristics? Some of us, we've been married for so long, we do start to look like one another, but the reality is there's something beautiful happening because God takes two very different individuals and he makes them one body, and they still have those unique characteristics, but instead of them being at war with one another, in Christ they complement one another, and it can be a really beautiful thing when Christ is the head of that home but the two become one, and this is where we get off track. I think there's so many people that get married with this expectation that my needs are going to be met, and they're not ready to abandon that life of singleness. They still want to kind of do their own thing. It always worries me when I'm talking to a married couple, and you're asking, hey, you know, um, oh, where's, where's, where's your wife right now? Oh, I have no idea. I have no idea. You have no idea where your wife is? Now she's out doing something. Now, I'm not talking about being controlling. I'm talking about being so connected that if you haven't heard from your wife in three hours, that's weird. But it's just not that way in the world today, even within the church today. We want to hold on to our singleness, but that's not what marriage has been created for. Again, if we want to go back and we want to see healing in our marriages, we've got to go back to the Creator. And he said, for this reason, a son will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one. Do you feel like you're one with your wife? Do you feel united in will and desire? Do you feel like you're on the same page? Or are you guys at war with one another? There's hope. It doesn't have to be that way. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That's in the past, right? Jesus laid down his life for his church. And then in the present, that he might set her apart, sanctify her, cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. That's what Jesus does day by day, and that's what we should be doing with our lives. We should should be constantly reminding them of how precious they are in God's sight. We should be an extension of God's love for them. And then finally, the future, that he might one day present her to himself, a glorious church. Husbands, love your wives as your own bodies. I think some of you men, you mistreat your wives, not because of who they are, but because of your own self-loathing. You're unsatisfied with yourself, you're unsatisfied with where you are, with with the Lord and they're the closest one to you and so they take the brunt of your anger and your rage and your disappointment and again I'm not trying to keep I've been there I understand it when I'm miserable with myself my wife takes the brunt of it that's embarrassing to say out loud but it's true And that's what Paul's saying. It's, it's unnatural to, to hate yourself. But when we mistreat our wives, that's what we're really displaying, that really we hate ourselves. It's unnatural. It's not what God intended. So I think for some of us this is an opportunity to look in the mirror and if we're not treating our wives well and I'm talking about that high standard of well that we see in scripture we have to ask why why am I struggling with self-loathing? Why am I discouraged? And is it possible because I'm not is it because I'm not finding satisfaction in my relationship with Christ? Let each one of you love his wife as himself. See, marriages again... And I, I don't... I don't want to put you on the spot. But some of you may be sitting here, here and you feel the tension with the person next to you. You, you feel that... that animosity. You you walked in, maybe there was a fight this morning, and, and it's been a continual battle, and my heart for you as your pastor is to remind you that you are on the same team. God did not design you to be at war with one another. He designed you to be one with one another. And there is hope, and there is forgiveness, but it has to be in Christ, because his design for marriage is that it would be a miniature model of the gospel story. You guys have all been to a science fair, and you walk through it, and there's a a volcano on the table, a little miniature volcano, and the kids are so excited to set that thing off, and it explodes, and, and you get, oh, that's a miniature model of what a very magnificent event looks like. It's kind of like our marriages. They're imperfect, they're small, but there should be parallels between our love for our wives and their respect of us and the way that Christ loves his church. That's the high calling, that's the aim. So as you sit here this morning if you're, and you think, man, it's, it's not even close to that. We're just trying to keep our head above water. water. We're just trying to keep things together. My encouragement, again, is look to the Word of God. Husbands, learn to lead in the same way that Jesus led, by serving, by sacrificing. Men, quit waiting for your wife to change. Jesus didn't say, hey, as soon as the church is worthy of my love, I will love it. As soon as the church gets its its act together, I will love it. His love is unconditional. It doesn't have strings attached. Poor leadership at any level, whether it's in the workplace or the home, poor leadership at any level has this idea backwards. Poor leadership says you exist for me. My employees exist for me. They do what I want them to do for my benefit. But true leadership says, I am here to support you, to encourage you, to equip you, to enrich your life. I am here for your good. And that starts in the home with husbands. That's our role. Unified on as one body on the same team. And really, Paul sums this all up in verse 33. If you'll look there. Linda, I'm passing it back on to you because I don't know what I'm doing. Paul sums it up here. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So, what does the model of the marriage pointing to Christ look like? It looks like a husband who is what? Sacrificially laying down his life for his wife, enabling and encouraging his wife to become what God intends her to be. Isn't that what Jesus is doing for his church? Being that, uh, that, that safety net if you will knowing that she can come home and there's safety in her home she's not going to be berated by her husband she's not going to be uh, torn down by her husband but he is there to lift her up enabling her and encouraging her to become exactly who God intends her to be whether he feels like she deserves it or not that day Unconditional, no strings attached. It's not a contract, it's a covenant. And then, wives, if I could just give you a little bit of encouragement from a man's perspective, that word, respect, it's strange because it means fear. And that feels a little bit uncomfortable, right? Fear your husbands. But understand the word that Paul's using, it's a reverential admiration. Not because he's uniquely awesome, but because he's your husband. You know what that means? It means you're your husband's biggest fan. As a man, and again, I'm not trying to play my tiny violin here, but this world can beat you down. And sometimes as a man, you can feel like you are all alone. You go to work, and maybe your boss beats you down. You're driving home in traffic, and the traffic beats you down. You're trying to be the man that God has designed you to be, and you can just sometimes feel alone in it all. And to have someone like your spouse come alongside you and say, I'm here for you. We're in this together. You're not alone. And I'm glad that God chose you for me to spend the rest of my life for with and to have someone like that as your biggest fan to support you that word that god that that um is used in genesis that god saw that man was alone and so he gave him a what a helper and we think of that word helper as like someone to make him a sandwich or something but that word helper is used uniquely in the old testament It's used when a soldier comes to the aid of another soldier in battle. And it's used when God comes and helps man. It's very different. Not that if you want to make a sandwich, my wife makes a better sandwich than I do, so you can do that all you want. But it's so much deeper than this. Us guys, we feel like, again, we're in the middle of a battle every day. And to have your biggest fan remind you of how important they are you are to them. it means the world. So husbands lay down your lives for your wives and wives. respect your husbands. Now single guys real quick. Why do you want to get married? Are there any single guys in here? I don't know. Why do do you want to get married? Is it because of physical attraction? Is it because you're lonely? Is it because you want to have your emotional and spiritual and sexual needs met? Why do you want to get married? As a Christian man, and I'm not saying some of that that's all wrapped up in this, but the highest priority, the redeemed man gets married because he has found a woman that he is willing to sacrifice for. He has found a woman that he is willing to step away from singleness for. He has found a woman that he is willing to serve, that he is willing to treasure, that he's willing to protect, and most importantly, that he is willing to die for. I'm not talking about just stepping in front of a bullet because it's much harder sometimes to live for someone else than it is to die. I'm talking about dying to self for the good of someone else. See, the highest calling a husband has is to be a constant reminder to his wife how valuable she is to the Lord because that's what Jesus does for me whenever I look at the cross. I am reminded of how valuable I am because of the way he sacrificed his life for me. And we get to do the same for our wives. Do we stand in the way of it? Does the way we treat our wives cause cause them to have a difficult understanding of how much their Father in Heaven cares about them? Or are we helping in that process? Paul says, this mystery is profound. But even though the mystery of the gospel is profound, our marriages can help model what that mystery truly means. Let's pray. God, we are so, again, grateful for... for your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, today as we reflect on your word and we consider the high calling you've given us as husbands, again, Lord, we acknowledge that we are fully dependent on you To love them and to love our wives the way that you love your church. And you know where each one of us, you know where we land this morning. You know where we stand with you and with our wives. Maybe today's a day that we ask for forgiveness. Maybe today's a day that we sit down and we have a conversation. What do you need from me? how can I love you better? Maybe today's a day of repentance. Lord, I know that you're doing the work in individual lives. But I also pray, Lord, that we would understand the purpose behind all this. We do want happy marriages. We want healthy marriages. But more than anything, Lord, we want this dying world to see Jesus. And the story of of, uh You creating Adam and then giving him a helpmate in Eve to share this life together and then to ultimately tell the story of of what Jesus came and did for each one of us. It is a profound mystery. We do want to live it out. We want to be a model for Christ's love for the church. So, Lord, I pray against discouragement. The enemy is so quick to come in and tear people down. And, and, and He's just the great accuser. But we know your Holy Spirit doesn't work that way. You're drawing us this morning closer to you so that we can see your purpose is lived out. So thank you for this example. Thank you that we don't go through life trying to figure out things on our own, but your word word is a lamp unto our feet and it's a light unto our path. In a world of broken families, let our families be a reflection of you. We love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.